0: show you
1: hello and happy black history month uh you're tuned into the siren to scream the horror podcast that proves sometimes dead is better i'm your host jackie devore joined by my creeptacular co-hosts Sierra halk hello and blue coal hi all right we have a rather uh dense topic for you all today so we're gonna go ahead and skip over the usual recommendation section and jump right into it uh we originally planned for this to be a mini episode but we just felt like we couldn't really do it justice that way so welcome to our discussion on the history of black horror and we're gonna go ahead and cut to the chase most of the movies that you love are racist real bad
2: whoops
1: yeah and that goes double time for horror maybe triple yeah i think we should preface this by saying that the three of us we are all pasty as fuck i would go so far as even saying glow in the dark yeah like put us out in a snowstorm and you will never find us We're jellyfish. That's what we are. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do our best here to give some time to the history of Black horror and cover this topic, at least in some regard. But we want to make it clear that there is absolutely no substitute for listening directly to those Black voices that are trying to be heard. We'll drop some resources at the end and in the show notes for you to check out. If you are particularly sensitive to racial topics, you may want to skip over this episode Unless you are a white American, in which case we'd recommend that you not shy away from these issues and instead confront the problems that they present. Throughout the history of cinema, tropes have developed hard and fast, locking us into these plot devices that we've come to expect from writers and directors over the years. The bookish girl that's in love with a jock suddenly realizes that her nerdy best friend was the dream guy all along, the painfully mediocre guy gets saved by the manic pixie dream girl oh yeah seriously we need to have our own show like a complete show on that alone yeah we do the hard worker from the poor house makes it out by believing in himself enough Jeez! and the black guy gets killed first worst yeah that is the worst In horror, there are a disturbing number of tropes that apply specifically to Black characters. To understand how this happened, we have to go all the way back to the beginning here, to 1915 and a silent film called Birth of a Nation. Um, Make no mistake, this film was 100% racist propaganda that glamorized the KKK. Like, I'm not just talking about how it was like racist in topic. Like, it was fucking straight up racist propaganda. The Black characters here are portrayed as lazy, aggressive, dim-witted, and dangerous. This film was based on a book that describes the quote-unquote benefits of lynching in excruciatingly loving detail. And it also sets the... Cinematic stage for portraying Black people as villains and monsters. I don't know if either of you have seen this. I've never been able to make it all the way through this film myself. No. It is widely regarded as one of the best films in history. What? Yeah. I believe that's just really because of the um, things that it did for theater at the time. Like uh, One of the stars was Lillian Gish, who uh, is... Really well known for making, acting, an art form. Okay. I mean, that was one of her biggest known for's there. Hmm. But the actual, like, narrative and things that are portrayed in this film and that book are just fucking horrible.
2: Yeah, it sounds like it.
1: But this portrayal only escalated across the decades. Films like King Kong and uh, Ngagi only reinforce the stereotype with the latter effectively launching the black exploitation genre. However, then comes Son of N'Gagi, which, while it did still hold some of the ideas prevalent in racial Hollywood, it was also the first black-made horror film and the first portrayal of a black woman in STEM, which was fucking revolutionary for that time. fuck it's fucking almost revolutionary now yeah i haven't seen these but like
0: when i saw your description of that i like i kind of want to see it now Mm -hmm. at the same time i don't want to look it up because i don't want it to get it more attention it's one of those things
1: yeah i feel you in a medium that consistently pigeonholed black characters as a quiet servants the funny idiot or a full-on voodoo priestess it's a very welcome sight to see instances that broke that mold this brings us to Dwayne Jones in Night of the Living Dead, which I know is something we've all seen.
0: Mm-hmm. Fucking A. Night <laughs> of the Living Dead definitely set the tone for my love of horror. I think Night of the Living Dead was like one of the first horror films that I saw on my own. Oh, yeah? Like, I very much remember experiencing the trope where I was like, okay, they're introducing this character. This character's obviously gonna die in the first five minutes, yeah. and he didn't. And I, I was like, holy shit, this is
1: awesome! Actually, I actually have a weird, complicated history with this movie because of planning the zombie walk for so many years.
2: Oh, yeah, I bet.
1: Yeah, I'll mention why after um, we talk about Jones here. Jones, as Ben, was a protagonist that spent the vast majority of the movie bashing in the brains of white zombies, not like the Rob Zombie type, but like white people zombies. <laughs> 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 ones that roamed the street going ikea (laughs) (laughs) oh i felt that one (laughs) damn it damn it anyway (laughs) while he doesn't quite make it to the end the heroic role was certainly a push forward Uh, when asked about casting jones george romero simply responded that the role of ben wasn't written with any particular race in mind jones just happened to be the best actor that showed up that day he has also mentioned that when filming wrapped, he packed the reels in his trunk and got in his car to bring them down to the print shop there. And he turned on the radio to hear that Martin Luther King Jr. had been shot. Fuck, that's heavy. Oh, wow. Yeah. So as you might imagine, that coincidental timing made that character of Ben an even more needed message in the cinematic landscape of the time. Hell yeah. Yeah. And a uh, side note here, which is why this was so prevalent in our zombie walk days. There's a reason why you see Night of the Living Dead so frequently played in the background of things or like in public, even projected on the sides of buildings when you're trying to create a spooky atmosphere in like a beer house yard kind of thing, which is unnecessary, but it happens everywhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the original distributor failed to place the copyright on the actual prints.
2: <laughs> Whoopsies. Yeah, right?
1: <laughs> so it's one of the very few films that is considered public domain. So you don't have to pay to use it, screen it, do anything with it, sample it. doesn't matter. You could do anything you want with that film. That blows my mind. Yeah.
2: <laughs> That's funny. That's like that uh, mistake almost gives your a whole new legacy to it. Yeah.
1: It's like making that mistake. Uh, it basically allowed Night of the Living Dead to be as popular as it was since it was so accessible to so many people
2: mm-hmm.
1: I've heard of like odd random things like someone
0: made a choice at some point like oh they didn't take it very seriously so they did this and then that film becomes so much greater because of that choice so I'm really glad that they did that It's spent like Night of the Living Dead is just such an epic film it's really well done I mean the writing is great George Romero's a badass, so yeah, fucking kudos to that dumbass <laughs> to that did <laughs>
1: that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like to be fair, I don't think it was on purpose, but <laughs>
2: happy accident in the end.
1: There you go. So Dwayne Jones, there, um, the guy that played Ben, he he did quite a few really interesting things back in the sixties and seventies. Uh, he was also the star of the film Ganja and Hess in nineteen seventy which is about an archaeologist who becomes cursed by an antique African dagger. Hmm. And this is written and directed by Bill Gunn, who is a fascinating dude. Ganja and Hess was truly a singular film of its time. Tested pretty much all of the boundaries at that time, too. Uh, Both titular characters were played by Black actors, for one. They were portrayed as poignant, introspective, and fully realized characters. The amount of depth that they were written with was just not indicative of the typical rules afforded to Black actors at the time. The film did amazingly overseas, including earning awards and a standing ovation at Cannes. But... It did not fit the narrative of American Hollywood cinema at the time. Surprise, surprise. Right? (laughs) Because of this, it was cut down and rearranged so much to appeal to American audiences that it was renamed The Blood Couple.
2: Oh my God.
0: I know, right? I've heard of The Blood Couple, but I haven't heard of Ganjan Hess, so that
1: makes a lot of sense as to why. And for the longest time, the absolute only way you could view the entire uncut version in the U.S. was to go to the, uh, to MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art, where it was on exhibit for decades. That's cool. It pushed so many boundaries at that time that it really earned its spot in MoMA there. And um, Bill Gunn, he was an absolute visionary. Uh, He was very well known to not compromise his morals and beliefs for the sake of producers. Good for him. He was an actor and a playwright and a novelist and a director. He was writing some of the best dialogue of his time. And he really didn't meet a barrier he wasn't willing to kick down. This was the dude that, like, if a production company wanted to talk about hiring him, they had to have a whole other meeting about, well... What is he going to push here? This
2: is a liability. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the reason why the HR department was created was Bill Gunn. Yeah.
1: <laughs> in his directorial debut, a movie called Stop, he portrayed a same-sex love scene, which resulted in him being dropped from his production company entirely. He had a three-film contract, and they were like, nope, fuck it, stop is the end right there. Cheese. Jeez. They deeply fucked him over in the process, too. He landed in deep debt. He was taken for a ride by his partners, his accountant. The whole fucking thing was a mess. And in a time where black exploitation reigned supreme and Black actors were mainly offered roles as pimps and hoes, Gunn wrote a scene in his novel called uh, Rhinestone Sharecropping, wherein a Black actor suggested to a white producer... That there may be a part for a Black woman only for the producer to reply, this isn't a porno. Wow. Mm. As I said, he's honestly a really fascinating individual. If you want to learn more about him, there was a really great article about him and his work on the Criterion Collection website right now. Right on. Highly, highly recommend reading that. But so now we're going to skip forward to the time of slashers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is some favorites among some sirens here. This is when the whole the black guy dies first trope really comes to the forefront, as well as the magical black person and the sacrificial black BFF. While Freddy was out chasing his dreams. Mm. Really? Nothing? Come on. I spent a minute on that one.
2: <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt, but yeah, that's really good. <laughs> Is my mic not picking up all of my groans?
1: will <laughs> do so- it <sighs> again. There we go. That's good. <laughs> but so, a new killer uh, arose by the name of the Candyman. Oh my god, I love Candyman so much. Candyman was the first black uh, supernatural killer in the time of slashers, and. While it did still fall into the tropes of Black men portraying monsters as well as Black men pursuing white women, it's still important to recognize the story's correlation to racism in America. In fact, uh, the original Wes Craven story was set in a small town in the UK, and the screen adaptation was altered to reflect racism in America as a moral point.
2: That would have been a totally different movie if it was in the UK. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right? Like, vastly
1: different, like, deeply different a few other trope bending, barrier testing examples at that time include Casey Lemons' personal fight to direct her own screenplay, Eve's Bayou. To convince producers that she could, she made the short film Dr. Hugo, which was based on a section from Eve's Bayou. Casey Lemons, she's a writer and producer, and she, uh, uh, I believe, she was an actress at some 1.2, but her body of work really stands alone in its own little genre there. It's really impressive the relationships that she writes between characters in her work. It's been a while since I've seen Eve's Bayou, so that's actually like right back on my (laughs) list to rewatch lately.
0: Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it, so I'm definitely going to check it out.
1: The synopsis here is over the course of a long, hot Louisiana summer, a 10-year-old Black girl, Eve Batiste, discovers that her family's affluent existence is merely a facade. The philandering of her suave doctor father, Lewis, who is played by Samuel L. Jackson. Oh. Yeah. Creates a rift throwing Eve's mother, Roz, and teenage sisters, Cecily, into emotional turmoil. Eve, though, manages to find some solace with her quirky, psychic aunt. <laughs> I feel like that description doesn't really give it enough uh, weight. Doesn't give it enough of a good, you know, push of a feeling there i feel like you just kind of have to watch that one to to really to really get it yeah yeah because the way that the synopsis that it's described is almost like a like a drama yeah it sounds like it's gonna like turn into a feel-good disney dad movie you know but that Mm -hmm. that's not how this goes
0: you're you sit down, you're like oh I just need a feel good Hallmarky movie where the family gets together what the fuck
1: they learn a fun lesson and go on adventures that's not what happens so anyway um, along with Eve's bio in that um, era we also see Tales from the Hood yes this is another one of those movies that you really just really have to watch to begin to understand
0: it doesn't no not even understand if you have if you like horror if you even have a taste of horror. You should watch Tales from the Hood. I know Tales from the Hood was mm-hmm. on our 31 Days of Horror. It is just that fucking good of a
1: movie that everyone should watch it. It really is. In fact, you mentioning it on uh the 31 Days of Horror made me rewatch it immediately. <laughs> I fucking love that movie. Oh so good. So good. Tales from the Hood is an anthology series starring Clarence Williams as a kooky mortician who tells the stories of various black characters. This touches on domestic violence, gun and gang violence, political racism, police violence, and throughout it all, the stories are unexpected. They're extremely engaging, and they are very telling of the times, which was in the mid-90s. What's deeply disturbing, however, is that while you can watch Tales from the Hood and relate it to the events of the 90s, including police brutality, the L.A. riots, It's also exceptionally relevant to today's climate, too, which kind of just shows that we haven't learned anything over 25 years. Mm
0: -hmm. That's horrific on its own. Yeah. I know that I mentioned in the 31 Days of Horror that there's a Tales from the Hood 2. I still have not taken the time to watch it. But um, I also recently learned that there is a Tales from the Hood 3 that is out as well. What? And there is a Tales from the Hood 4, which is in the works.
1: Ooh, Sounds like we're just going to have a whole fucking show on Tales from the Hood here. Yeah. We should do a marathon. <laughs> marathon. Absolutely. So another one in this time frame is my personal favorite horror movie of all fucking time, Demon Knight. I haven't seen Demon Knight. <laughs> oh, my God! Oh, my God. How have you not seen Demon Knight, here? Also,
2: for the for the listeners, it's spelled K-N-I-G-H-T, which is very intriguing. Like the knight that fights people.
0: Oh, my God. Oh, number one. Number one fucking horror movie. Sierra, is- get on that shit. <laughs> as soon as we're done, fucking watch
1: it. Oh, my God. It's just, like, hands down my absolute favorite. Now, I I couldn't have known this at the time because the internet wasn't a thing and I was a literal child. (laughs) But Demon Knight actually gave us the first black final girl. Yes,
0: J.J. Pinkett Smith!
1: This is a Tales from the Crypt production that follows the story of a demon hunter, William Sadler, and the Demon Knight, played by Billy Zane, by the fucking way. So hot!
2: (laughs) Oh boy, so
1: hot. (laughs) They come into a rundown hotel In the desert, filled with colorful characters, including Jada Pinkett, not yet
2: Smith. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very important news. I just Googled it and it's free to rent on Amazon right now. Oh, it's so good. It's meant to be.
1: 100% worth it. Oh, and just so you know, it does have one of those like excessively 90s Tales from the Crypt opening. So prepare to see some titties. (laughs) Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, as any horror fanatic will tell you, the final girl trope centers around a handful of common characteristics. She's typically free of all vices, she's bookish. Whatever. Yeah, right. And most importantly, virginal. Like, it's always stressed how pure she is. Geraldine in Demon Knight is literally none of those things. She's a rough and tumble type with what you can glean as a sordid past. And while the Demon Knight does force his sexual fantasies onto her, with her resisting him, there is no sense of a virginal nature beyond that point or, you know, before that point or anything regarding also it's just a really fun movie and I will always love it and carry it to my grave. Like I didn't really
0: think about her being um not the typical final girl trope, but I think now like now that I'm actually thinking about it, I think that's probably why I loved that movie so much because she, you know, she was very tomboyish, she was very like, all right, fuck you, let's get this done, you know, like she had her quirks, she was a really good character and As someone who, you know, I was a hyperactive kid, like, you know, I got into trouble and stuff. I really kind of associated with that character. So that probably, now that I think about it, really plays a huge part as to why that became such a huge favorite of mine when I was young. Because I saw it, I think, in my early teens. Yeah. And I was just like, huh, like, I just remember being like completely in love with that movie.
1: Yeah, I, I think I saw it. For the first time when I was around 12 or so. Yeah. And it just has never left me. It is like I know how cheesy it is I went on the website. <laughs> I love the cheesy though. Come on. Like all the. It's like the perfect amount of cheesy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like Billy Zane as the bad guy like does the funny puns and the dad jokes. And you're just like, what? All right. Here's my panties. Sorry, sir. Here you
1: go. <laughs>
2: It did not correlate. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> sane, has
1: never been better than he was in Demon Knight. And yes. especially with that fucking Western getup with the long oh suede jacket and the fucking hat. Yeah.
0: I have never thought nerdy thoughts about a hillbilly until that moment. Right?
1: Damn. Now you're married to a cowboy. How's that working out for you, bro?
0: Oh, it's so good. He's so hot. I love his little butt. He's so good.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway... <laughs> We we went off in a direction there. Totally, yeah, <laughs> bad. So anyway, at the turn of the century, uh, we see more of an influx of uh, meaningful characters being written for and casted as people of color. Uh, while this is building, there's still heavy resistance in the film industry for fully Black-centered horror. This is until we get to the modern and current era, or what I like to call the Jordan Peele era. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, the, Jordan Peele. If you, I know
0: this is a podcast, so there's no visuals, but I am definitely kneeling and bowing before the amazing Jordan Peele and all the work that he is doing. Honestly, he can take over the horror genre. I'm fine with it. It is fucking 100%. Well,
2: and talking about campy horror, too, to have somebody who, like, I started out knowing him from Key and Peele. Uh, Key and Peel, of course, yeah. yeah. So to have the like comedy roots, too, just feels so... It just makes so much sense. Yes. And honestly, if you
1: want to understand um, horror tropes in general better, or uh, Black horror tropes specifically, there I really think there's no better place to find some of that in action than in Key and Peel. They riff on it so much mm-hmm. yes they really get into it and they're like they're they do it intelligently like they don't just they don't just make fun of it like they do it in like a, a socially aware kind of way they really walk
0: through the issues with it and why it's stupid and things that could be differently
1: but all right yeah well also being like legit fucking hilarious so yes they are awesome it's a fine line walk And there is no way around this, whether you love it or hate it, Jordan Peele's Get Out was a complete fucking game changer. Thank God. The metaphors that he manages to seamlessly weave into this plot are incredible. For instance, when Chris, the main character, is tied to a chair, in his realization of where he is and what's happening, he finds himself picking cotton out of the chair arm. Or the very prominent use of code switching to make the white people of the film feel more at ease. Uh, There's also a huge amount of confrontational racial situations here, such as police brutality, white saviorism with Chris's girlfriend, and even with her dad talking up Obama, Mm -hmm. down to the literal auction block that Chris is put on at the garden party. Mm -hmm. That scene. I know. Like, every inch of this film was carefully crafted in a way that confronts the long, arduous, and never-ending journey the Black media has had in American cinema. Then it did something that no other Black-led horror film has done. It won an Oscar. Fuck yeah, it did. Yeah. Get Out won 88 awards. Fuck yeah. Dang. Yeah, including an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. And it was nominated for over 200 awards. Fucking well deserved. Yeah. The success of Get Out has shown producers that there isn't just a market for Black horror, but it's a massive, growing, and vocal market. Because of this one film, other Black creators are now being given chances and opportunities that they didn't have a decade ago or even five years before Get Out came out. Get Out didn't just change the landscape, it changed the actual capabilities of the landscape. So awesome. I know, like, I I feel like I can't say enough good things about what this has done for cinema here. Mm -hmm. And there are really just so many things to talk about with Just Get Out Alone, how in the original ending, Chris was meant to be arrested. But Jordan Peele says he changed the ending because between the time he wrote the movie and the time it was ready for audiences, the Black Lives Matter movement was at the forefront of the national conversation. So he felt he needed to change that ending to fit society better. We could talk about how Peel has said many times, and very specifically, that he would never cast or write a white person as a hero. The world has enough of that. It really does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or how the ending is influenced by Night of the Living Dead. Yes, But of course. But even beyond Get Out, uh, we could write a whole show just around... Shit that Jordan Peele is doing in the horror genre right now. <laughs> right? We could like straight up have Jordan's corner in every show here.
2: Like <laughs> <laughs> we're peeling back the layers. Hey! <laughs> oh
1: doing it. We are so doing that. <laughs> no, no, I can't no
0: (laughs) too too much is it too much did we actually cross a line oh my god
1: no she just caught me with that fucking pond my god i wasn't expecting it
2: i'm so proud of myself right now (laughs) oh shit
1: so the biggest takeaway here might be that peel is doing something genre defying that could have a huge, massively positive impact on the future of horror. Personally, I'm ex- extremely excited to see more diverse, creative minds expand the genre in new and original ways.
2: And how excited are you to uh, have Jordan Peele's Candyman coming out soon? Oh my god, that's coming out in June. Oh, so excited! I can't wait! Oh, It's gonna be fucking perfect.
1: I saw an interview recently about him talking about some directions that he's taking with it. And, oh, my God, it's just... I'm so fucking
2: ready for it. Ugh. I feel like I want to go in not knowing anything. Yeah, that's
0: how I am uh, with most horror movies or movies in general. I try really hard to not see anything until I go into it. Because I can generally, like, put together what's going to happen. And I hate that. I hate that I do that. Right. So, like... I so badly want to look up shit like I so badly want to look up like pictures or like the interviews with Jordan P or something but I'm like nope if I do it I'm gonna be really mad at myself and Mm -hmm. Candyman is definitely one of the another really huge like horror influence from when I was a kid I remember seeing it for the first time like over at a friend's house during a sleepover and you know not allowed to see it and we waited until her, her parents were in bed and then we watched it and, you know, that kind of thing. And it was just like, holy fuck. It was, yeah, huge, huge. So I'm so, so excited for it to come out.
1: Yeah, typically I'm right there with you. And like, I don't I don't want to hear, I don't want to see anything. I don't want to hear anything. Like, I just want to experience it raw. Yeah. But I just fell into such a Jordan Peele hole with this, whole, <laughs> <laughs> with
0: this whole thing. I couldn't yes. help
1: it. And I will mention, if you'd like to learn more about the history of Black horror, which I obviously recommend, um, check out Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror, which, of course, is produced by Jordan Peele. Um, It features an incredible collection of Black horror creators speaking from actual experience, and when I had written out this episode and done like mountains of research over the course of like a week and a half here, mm-hmm. then I watched Horror Noir for the first time and mm-hmm. realized it was like that time that I got married and my husband and I accidentally wrote the same vows separately.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. I had I thought that story. That's a crazy synchronicity.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like so many of the things that I had written out were just like, word for word <laughs> so i tried to go back and like flesh out uh some of uh, some of the things that they didn't get a chance to cover or uh some of the things that i felt needed just more info on so hopefully this has been a little bit educational here but i'd also recommend checking out uh graveyard shift sisters.com which posts thoughtful and provoking articles and resources
0: we would love to get a, a shout out to some other current black creators that you should take the time to check out. Um, obviously, this is just a little snippet. There are a bajillion creators that I really wanted to add to this list like uh, Hiho Silver on TikTok who is working on a new uh, Joker origin story where the Ooh. Joker character is actually a person of color. Oh shit. Super exciting Just on like, TikTok? Yeah, she's on TikTok. It's Hiho Silver, I think it's like uh it's Hiho Silver Works is her username. Um she talks about the character she got a bunch of people to come together to help illustrate the story and I believe she's got a Kickstarter started. Super excited for the story. So check her out. Also, I know I mentioned this on our 31 Days of Horror, again the Nightlight podcast insanely good creepy stories with full audio production written by black writers and performed by black actors nice please please join their patreon and support them all the money that goes into the patreon goes directly to everyone who works on the show to make sure that black actors and black writers are actually being paid for the work that they do which is amazing very cool another one is the real queen of horror on youtube Zena is your best friend who loves horror. She puts together fun videos reviewing and discussing old and new horror flicks. I recommend her latest video talking about the top Black Final Girls, Ooh. where she also she also mentions Jada Pinkett Smith from *Demon Knight. Nice. Yes. Um. She has a killer New England accent, so I'm obviously bound to be in love with her. Like, she has, like, slumber party vibes. Like, I want to, like, hang out with her. I want to spend an evening with her just watching horror movies. She's amazing. Please check her out. If you are looking to support Black-owned goth designers...
1: Yes, obviously.
0: Duh! (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have a whole list of brands that we love. Uh, There's Sinister Sisters... There's Adorned by Chi, who actually has a kawaii twist on a lot of the stuff that she does. Nice. There's elegy clothing, There is Pretty Boy Gothic, which is actually a guy's clothing line, which is extra awesome because we know our dudes are always looking for something. Yeah, that's rare. Yeah, exactly. Based out of Houston, Texas. Very awesome. It's hard to be goth in Texas. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because I actually think um, there are a couple of these companies that are actually based out of Texas, which is pretty surprising, but Mm -hmm. awesome. There's Sweet Bits. There's Spooky Kids there's in control clothing there's funk punk nyc there are loads of companies just take a moment to look up a uh, gothic designer and um give your money also uh check out horror spelled h o 9909 they are a hardcore punk band i've been obsessed with them for forever they are super amazing Please check them out. Good shit. And as always, if our listeners have any other recommendations, please let us know. We want to see it. We want to know it. We want to give them shout outs. They need proper attention because there are so many amazing creators that are just going unseen. And that's some bullshit right there.
1: Yeah, and we'll be happily updating uh, the show notes for this episode as well as, you know, tagging in and adding resources on things like Instagram, Facebook, um TikTok if we ever get that together in our lives. Um, Working on it. (laughs) Working on it. (laughs) We're getting there. Um so yeah, always always reach out to us if you have any questions, recommendations, just want to say hey, whatever, whatever it may be. Some anything. Yeah. We even love stupid jokes. Please
0: tell us stupid jokes. God, we love stupid jokes.
1: (laughs) Did you not hear peeling back the layers? Hello. Uh also Wanna give another huge thanks to Dawn, who is our new social media manager, and she's been kicking ass. Yes! Yeah. And Drew, our extra handsome editor. Yes! <laughs> and also a special thanks to TerraVision and Grayface for all of the rad music you've been hearing on our show lately. Hell yeah. Music that you will hear taking us out here is by the marshmallow ghost. You can hit us up at Sirens Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, Sirens Pod on Instagram, or email us at sirens at sirensofscream.com. Uh, Blue, where can listeners find you? Can you can find me on Instagram. I am at Blue Ironworker.
2: One word. Sierra, where should they send their bad jokes to you at? Send them to me on Twitter at Sierra Howe. And then you can see all of my dog pictures on Sierra Hawk on Instagram. so cute! (laughs) It's snowing here and Ahsoka is so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you posted the one picture where you were like, Oh, he's an angel! And then
0: there's like the third picture and he's like...
1: (laughs) 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 So awesome. And I am Jackie the Robot on Twitter and Instagram. And thank you so much for joining us. We will see you again in like a week, I guess? yeah we've got a bunch
0: of shows coming out this month so hopefully you guys are sticking around and listening
1: yeah it's because we love you
0: yes we do we love you bye
1: bye Bye.